Hey, Takeover Church, thank you so much for checking out today's message, whether it's on podcast or on YouTube. We are so grateful that you are here. We pray it blesses you and encourages you and that you will like, share, and subscribe across all Takeover platforms. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless. We love you guys. So that's all we have for church news today in terms of announcements. Um, if you guys can just just give it up for the warrior woman herself, yeah. our one of our lead pastors, Adrienne McClure. I have to have my stand up really tall because I'm really tall. So, oh my goodness. Um, it is great to be here. I, I love Sunday. It's my favorite day of the week. I love getting to see all of you and hanging out and just what an incredible worship this morning. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. So, so good. And thanks for masking up, everybody. Like, really appreciate that. I know it's kind of annoying. I've got my little mask and mask right here. Um, but, you know, keeping each other safe and our germs to ourselves is awesome. So thank you for that. Um, as I was preparing to preach this Sunday, um, I said it a few times before I got to the stage that this is not something I'd like to do. <laughs> it's, something, it's something that I am called to do. So I'm being obedient. And um, I know that God really has a, a place for this word for people in this room today. And I felt on my heart, not even people in this room, people who are joining us online. And um, I don't know what was going on, but before service, worship was awesome. I am one of those people who gets like insane Charlie horses in their feet to the point where it's like, cray cray painful and one started in my right foot and I was like not today Satan and then it went over to the left foot and that one was really bad so I like walked a little bit and then came back to my spot and I was like somebody's trying to distract me this morning so I'm not going to let that distract me this is something that everybody in this place needs to hear and it's something that is going to be really crucial for specific persons that God has anointed you and has put you on my heart specifically to hear this word. Um, I was thinking of, of two different things, and um, one was kind of to talk about our place in the church, as part of the church, what it means for our generation to be a part of the body. Because generations previous, I think, had a, a different understanding of what it was, like this was their tribe, they had planted their flag, they had put, it, they had put down their roots, and, and they understood what that was about. And I feel like our generation does this like church shopping thing, or doesn't really understand about um, what it is to be a part of a tribe, and to go through seasons of, of growing pains, and what that looks like to come around each other when it's individual growth, or it's growth as a body. Yeah. And, and, and putting down our own our own feelings to trust those in leadership and, and the words that they speak over us and what that looks like to be a leader and to be teachable and to remain accountable to to God and his message and his heart for his people. And then God put on my heart that I really needed to speak about Ruth and I was like, that has nothing to do with what I was thinking I needed to talk about. And I was really frustrated. I had the phones of the message done on Monday 
And then all week long I was like, this is, this is like jamming a circle into a square hole. It, it's not working. And the more that I worked on it, and the more that I really asked God to reveal what it was that he needed me to say, the more I realized that there was, there was a lot of the same points. There was a lot of, of crossover here. So, as I said, I am speaking about the book of Ruth. I'm sure never, you've never seen anything that clever, clever before. Truth, Ruth, all in one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I made that myself. Um, yes. So, speaking about Ruth, has everybody read the book of Ruth? Oh, yeah. It's okay if you haven't. No oh, judgment. Yeah. Um, if you want to open your Bible to Ruth, I'm actually going to move right through from beginning to end. Um, it is a tiny little book that is sandwiched in between two really important things that are going on in the beginning of the Bible. One of them is the story of Abraham's descendants and their covenant with God. And the one that comes after Ruth is the covenant King David has as Israel's royal line, that it's going to start with him and continue with him. And Ruth is this four-chapter book in between with the first covenant being, which a covenant simply means it's a promise between humans and God, and there is generally a, a shedding of sacrificial blood. So the, the pre-Ruth promise is that Abraham's people from Abraham are going to form this great nation. They're going to have their own land, and they're going to have a king. And the post-Ruth covenant is that the rule of the judges is going to come to an end, and then God is going to establish a kingship in Israel that will come through King David and all of his descendants will carry on that ruling. So there's two really big things happening and then right in between there's four tiny little chapters of Ruth. We have the beginning of a nation and we have the establishment of a kingship. And we can kind of look at Ruth and see like, wow, only four chapters and it's kind of between some really serious things like I don't know, the beginning of the world, creation of humanity, um, Abraham, Israelites coming out of Egypt, and then David and the kingdom being established, and then this tiny little book of Ruth. And even though the book is called Ruth, it doesn't actually start with Ruth. It actually starts with this woman called Naomi. And Naomi is a Jewish woman who leaves Judah, where she lives, with her husband and two sons, and travels to the land of Moab because there is a famine that is taking place in Judah. First couple of chapter, or the first couple of paragraphs, um, Naomi's husband dies like that, like right off the bat, tragedy strikes, and she is widowed. After the passing of their father, her two sons married two Moabite women by the name of Orpha and Ruth. Now, it isn't extremely common at this time for Jews to intermarry with Moabites. That being because when the Jewish people left Egypt, when they were coming out of slavery, when they were experiencing freedom, when they were looking for their land, for the very first time, the Moabites kind of just stood there like, whoa, um, okay, you do you, and we're going to just do us, instead of actually coming around them and trying to help establish them and, and I mean, put them back together and, and help them get back up on their feet. They kind of just stood around and were like, yeesh. So there was a lot of negative feeling between the two tribes. And Israel, as we know, is really good at holding grudges. So there was no blending, blending that was taking place there. However, 
Uh, they were living in the land of Moab, and the two sons married Moabite women. And this meant that there was no longer this crazy pressure on Naomi. Her sons were going to kind of take the place of that father that had left, and um, they were going to take care of any, take care of her, their wives, and any children that would come out of the, that union. So, um, not much longer, both of her sons die, and Naomi is not only a widow, but she is now mother to two women who are also widows. So that covering that she had from those two sons and that husband before is gone. And she finds herself not only crushed by sadness, but also crushed by the responsibility of the immediacy of being a new kind of head of this family and, and a caretaker and, and a provider. And she's not a young gal. She's like, she's an older lady. She even says to the two women at one point, she was like, I'm not gonna get married and have two sons and you're just gonna wait for them to grow up and then you can marry them and start again. She, like, she knows that things are kind of, things are very dire for her. So she decides that after hearing that the famine has ended in Judah, she's gonna take her two daughters and she's going to go back to Bethlehem by way of getting back to Judah. And she is, she's in a really dark place right now. Obviously a lot of stuff has happened. She is, she's feeling crushed. She's feeling the pressure. She is feeling very abandoned by God. She even says that she wants to change her name from Naomi, which means sweetness, to Mara, which means bitterness. Now just, just talking about that, I know that all of us in one season or another can relate to the way that she's feeling. We, we have suffered some great loss. We've been hurt by people in our lives. I mean, specifically, maybe there is an illness that's been in your life that has not only ravaged your life, but has ravaged your body. Maybe you're in a long-term relationship you thought was moving towards marriage, and it turned out that that was not what happened. And now you're in a place where you're questioning yourself you're questioning any other person that you're interacting with, you are lost and you're feeling unloved. And it, another area could even be you want things to happen in your life and it's not happening for you, but you're seeing it happen for people around you. And, and that's hard to, to be in that place and to see that happening and question and wonder why and wrestle with why these things are happening. It's frustrating, it's painful. It's isolating. And at that point of pain where there's a, a crushing and a tearing, it is so easy for a, a seed of bitterness to, to get dropped. That is, the, that is the perfect fertile ground for a seed of bitterness to be planted and to be watered with our tears and tended with our pain and our, our brokenness to grow into this thing that most of the time, we are not even aware of. When it comes to bitterness, it, it, it is so often shown itself to others before it shows itself to us. And a lot of times, it takes others seeing that inside of us, the words that are coming out of the mouth, the actions that we're having, the things that we're doing in our lives. It takes other people seeing that to say, whoa, there's something not right there. And, and that root of bitterness, so often, 
can keep us from seeing that breakthrough that we need so, so badly. And, and that bitterness, it can come from offense. It can come from previous hurt. It can, it can, you might be a woman and you might have been hurt from by other women in your past, and now you're at a place where no matter how good the woman is or how pure her intentions seem, you cannot trust her. You cannot let yourself open up and trust that person again. I don't know what it is, and maybe it's something that hasn't even occurred to you. Maybe it's something you don't even do. Naomi is in a season of bitterness. She tells her, her two daughters to get out of here. Instead of living in the joy of having two daughters, she's living in the sorrow of the loss of two sons. And she's declaring her life curse over. Rather than wishing that life on her daughter, she tells Orpha and she tells Ruth, you know anything to do with me? Just get out of here. Just go. And Maybe you can remarry. Maybe you can have a second chance. You don't want to hang around. I, I've got, got really bad luck. It's just, it's not for me right now. And Orpha, though dismayed, she does return to her people. But Ruth physically clings to Naomi. She will not leave her. She says in 116, Ruth 116, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do the same to me as he has done to you, and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. That is so for real. <laughs> do you have somebody in your life that's like that? Annette, your hand should be up. Thank you. <laughs> Does anybody else have somebody in their life that's like that? Come on, come on. They've been through the thick, they've been through the thin. They've, they've, they've been in your Naomi season. They've seen you through. Those are the people we have got to hold on to. Those are the people that will let us see that root of bitterness. That, that will stick with us when the whole world is burning down and everyone else wants to abandon us. Find yourself a Ruth. She is 100% Ride or die. Come on. Naomi, you are my mother. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I will go with you 100% all the way. Loyalty. That's so good. Now, loyalty is something I feel is a lost characteristic in our world today. When I think of loyalty, this is kind of sad. I think of people and their football teams. Yuck. That's loyalty. People will be more loyal to their football teams than they will to God. Yeah, or to each other, or their church. Yeah. Which is insane to me. Yeah. Insane. Come on, as rare as loyalty feels, our loyalty in God should not be shaken by a rough season. Our loyalty to our church not ended in a season of discontentment. Our loyalty to our friends and family, not compromised by feelings we choose to not be in control of. Yeah, say it again. Say one again. <laughs> I'll say this again. In contrast, God's loyalty to us is never shaken. It never changes. He is with us even when we reject Him. He loves us even when we reject him. 
which is nuts. And Ruth's loyalty to Naomi is staggering. If you haven't felt loyalty like that, just stick around and take over. You'll get it. You'll get it. But her, but Ruth's stick to to Naomi is staggering, even to Naomi. What a blessing it is for us not to have to do this thing alone. And even still, even in the face of that kind of loyalty that we just do not see in the world at large, Naomi says this in Ruth 1.20. Do not call me Naomi, which means sweetness. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has caused me great grief and bitterness. Left full with a husband, I left full with a husband and two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? I left full of the Lord, but returned empty. How much does that sound like decisions that we've made in our life, where we felt full of the Lord, and then on the other side of that decision that might be outside the will of God, we feel more empty than we ever have before? And it's in that season, when we are so empty and we're crying out to God, that we can't sense him. We can't feel him because we are that empty. Yeah, and how easy it is to speak death over ourselves during those times. Yeah. That's why you have to surround yourself with somebody like Ruth who is going to stick with you and encourage you and push you on even when you do not want them around. So they make their way back to Bethlehem. I have a cramp on my foot. I'm not doing the pee pee dance, I swear. It's just moving my, around in my body, and I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to curse in Jesus' name and continue and continue. Um, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, and their immediate concern, obviously, is food. So Ruth, acting as provider, because like I said, Naomi is no spring chicken. She, she's going to stay home, and Ruth is going to go to the field, and she's going to glean for grain. And my understanding is, is that they could cook the grain and eat the grain, or they could winnow the grain down and they could make flour out of it and then they could make bread out of it. And she goes out into the field and she is, she sees the harvesters that are far off and she goes to a section of the field that has literally already been picked clean. So she is scrounging around on her hands and knees trying to find little bits that have been overlooked. That is, that is all that she is there for. She's humbly staying away from the workers, not trying to get in their hair, just looking for scraps, looking for the leftovers. Enter Boaz, which is a dope name. <laughs> Boaz is a well-to-do Israelite farmer. Yep. It happens to be that Ruth is gleaning, that's what they call it, gleaning, not gleaking, that's something else, um, gleaning in his field. And he, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um, it was so cool in middle school, like everybody was doing um, so she's actually working in Boaz's field, and he sees her, and he kind of asks the workers about her, and they fill him in that, yep, she's been gleaning there all morning, she is a widow, and she is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Yeah. So he, he tells his workers to just let her do what she's doing, and then he actually approaches Ruth, and he tells her to only glean in his fields, where she will be safe, because she's a young lady, there's, there's no covering for any, her anymore, male-wise. He says, just stick to my fields, and if you're thirsty or you're hungry, 
go hang out with my harvesters in the shed that I, in the covering that I made for them, drink the water, and um, just take a break and, and help yourself to anything that you can find in the field. He even instructs his harvesters to leave large portions of grain for her so she will not have to work as hard. So she'll be able to collect it. And he does this because he is so moved by her loyalty to Naomi. He is he's so moved that this widow, who is a foreigner in a foreign land, has devoted herself so completely to a person where there's nothing to gain for her being with Naomi. There, she is a widow and she is trying to act as a provider to her adopted mother. Boaz says to Ruth, in Ruth 2.12, May the Lord repay you for your kindness, and may your reward be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Which, if you are going through a Naomi season, you want to be under the wings of the Lord. That is where you should be taking refuge. That is where you should be taking shelter. I, I love that. Little does he know that he is acting as a part of the blessing that he is speaking over Ruth. She goes home that night with more food than she and Naomi can eat. And in the retelling of her day, she tells Naomi that it was Boaz's kindness that led to them having all this food and that he was actually instructing his harvesters to leave large portions out for her so she didn't even have to work as hard in the hot, hot sun. And Naomi, hearing the name of Boaz, realizes that he is someone who could redeem their family. And what that means culturally at this time is that when a woman is widowed, a close male relative, she, she doesn't have any ownership over land or property or possessions or anything like that. A close male relative can come in and act as that covering for her. And that's called redeeming the family. Who will then, that person will then provide for the widow and any of the children that she might have out of that marriage. So Naomi gets really excited. She goes over to her VHS collection. She gets out Pretty Woman. 90s classic starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere about a socially shunned woman who meets her dream man, marries him, and lives happily ever after. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Five people. Great. Okay. It's a classic. You should watch it. Anyways, what she really does is she tells Ruth to put on her best clothes and perfume, and then she instructs her, wait until nightfall, and then go to the threshing floor where Boaz will have been working all day and where he is likely to go to sleep. Ruth, heeding the wisdom of Naomi, does just as she instructed her. She doesn't understand why. She doesn't know why. She's listening to her leadership, listening to her wisdom. She goes to the threshing floor, and sure enough, there's Boaz. He's been working all day long. He's passed out. She goes and she lays down at, at his feet, and she covers herself with a, co a corner of his blanket, which is a symbol of covering. His covering is now going to cover her. And he wakes up and realizes he's not alone. When he realizes who it is that's actually there at the threshing floor with him, he again is impressed by Ruth's kindness, her courage, and her loyalty. 
And he explains to her that he wants to be her family's redeemer. Yay! Clap hands, everyone. So the next day, he goes into town, and he realizes that there is actually one other male in the community who could, who is their kinsman, who could also act as the redeemer of their family. And he goes up to this guy. Guy does not have a name in the Bible. It's okay. So, guy who could be redeemer, and he says, hey, Naomi is here. She actually needs someone to redeem her family. That means you get the land, you get the possessions, all that deal. And the guy's like, oh yeah, I will totally do that. I will redeem that family. And then he was like, Boaz says, okay, well that means you have to marry the Moabite, Ruth. And the guy takes a second, he was like, okay, no, no, I can't marry someone from Moab. That would actually mess up my own inheritance. So he relinquishes that redeemer aspect and gives it over to Boaz and they trade sandals which is weird but that's what they used to do back in the day they take their sandal off their foot give one to the other and then it's witnessed by a crowd of people and that's kind of like it's a done deal there you have it and Matt says if it was sneakers he'd be okay with that and the rest as they say is history Boaz takes Ruth as his bride and he loves her and out of that union, she bears a son. Wow. And it says in Ruth 4.14, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who is this day, has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and his father was Jesse, the father of David. Wow. Wow. Which is wild. A woman, a Moabite woman, actually looked down on it, by most of society, becomes the great-grandmother of King David, a king after God's own heart. Wow, come on. That is wild to me. The thing about the book of Ruth, when it comes to God, he is only ever mentioned a few times by a few of the characters. He never speaks directly to any, he, he's never mentioned by the narrator of the book, and he never speaks directly to any of the main characters. So what does that imply? It shows us that God is always there, actively, even when we cannot see or sense him. He is there throughout the book of Ruth. Even if he's not directly speaking to the characters in the story, he is there inside every single one of those people that blessed and led that story to end the way that it did and go on into the future. God uses Ruth's loyalty, Naomi's wisdom, and Boaz's generosity to restore the life of Naomi's family to the point where not only King David is among their lineage, but Jesus Christ the Messiah. Yeah. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Yeah. We have a pretty basic story with some pretty average people that leads to the redemptive story for all humankind through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Wow, come on. With the birth of this son and her family restored, Naomi's bitterness is once again 
turn to sweetness. God's heart for humanity is revealed in his love and loyalty to us. Just as Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and Boaz's loyalty again to Ruth echoes that restorative love of God. That's so good. There are things in life that can happen that cripple us. People are cruel. We in turn are cruel to each other. There are things that come, sickness, ailments, depression, anxiety. There are things that we deal with that can cripple us if we let them. They can make it near impossible for us to see the goodness of God in the land of the living and to experience the daily joy that he has called each and every one of us to. The story of Ruth shows that that loyalty leads to a deeper knowing of God, a deeper connection to his will and purpose for every single one of our lives. God was loyal to us first. He bears witness to all of our hurts and pains. He makes a way for us to live free from bitterness. He brings people into our lives that can play a pivotal role in our own redemptive story, even when we do not want them around. Right? We can see healing in places we swore were dead and dry and would never give life again. And we can experience healing of the soul, mind, and spirit to a point of being unrecognizable ourselves on the other side of our pain. Because Naomi, she was unrecognizable from the Naomi that left Moab to the Naomi that lives in Bethlehem at the end of the story. Life was given to her again because of Ruth's loyalty and that son that came out of that union blessed her with a new child of her own after losing so much. That kind of loyalty from God does not take back our pain that we have experienced. It did not bring back Naomi's husband or her two dead sons. But it does make an inroad for new life to come. Come on. The greater life and story than she ever could have imagined when she was in the desert and she was speaking death over herself. The savior of the human race. She wasn't even around to see that. Dang. The redeemer of all people was in her line because Ruth refused to give up. Come on, come on, come on. He was the covenant to end all covenants, the sweetness to replace all bitterness. And as I was thinking of this, God brought to my mind a, a visual that I, I wanted to, to use for a long time, but it never had a place. And this is definitely the place. When I was in college, and I was studying art. Not everybody knows. I work full time as an illustrator, and also full time as a pastor. I'm crazy. I, um, when I was studying art in one of my history classes, I heard about this Eastern practice and philosophy that they do in Japan, and it's actually called kintsugi, which loosely loosely translate, translates to golden joinery. And what this means is that when they have an object or a vessel that is broken, somebody drops it or it's bonked and a piece of it cracks off, instead of just throwing that away and saying that this is a useless vessel that we can no longer use, they lovingly use lacquer and powdered gold to assemble the entire thing again. So it's one piece, but you can see every single crack covered in gold. 
it says that the lines of the breakage are clearly meant to be visible. And I quote, it treats breakage and repair as a part of the history of an object, rather than something to disguise. Wow. Making what was once ugly and broken a beauty once more. And God does the same thing with each and every one of us. We might despair to know the hurt in our past and the things that we've carried around. And we don't know what God is going to use that for. If anxiety and depression is something you've struggled with in your past, you have no idea the megaphone that that would be to speak to others in your life. If you have struggled with suicide in your life before, you have no idea how God is going to use that to meet someone who is exactly in that place and needs to hear your encouragement and needs to accept that love of, of people not running out on them when things are, are dim. There are so many things that we can think back on in our lives and think that there's no use for this. This thing is dead. Yeah. But we don't know that God has done that golden joinery and brought those pieces back together so that we can use that to infiltrate and bless the lives of those around us. Does that sound good? That's so good. In our bro brokenness, beautiful new life can begin. The story of our brokenness made new in Jesus Christ speaks volumes to those around us who may be in the midst of their own Naomi season. God has created each and every one of us with a spirit of Ruth. I believe that. To be loyal to him and loyal to his church and loyal to his people. Most of us can recognize a time in our lives when we have been so close to the edge of despair and it has been that one consistent voice that has called us back, has drawn us back. And when the Bible talks about Boaz being the redeemer of that family culturally, I think that's true. But I personally think that Ruth was the spiritual redeemer of that family because she chose to be loyal when she could have gone back like Orpha and she could have had a different life that maybe would have been easier for her in her mind's eye. She chose to be loyal to Naomi. She chose to listen to Naomi's wisdom. And she accepted the generosity that came from Boaz. Those are three huge things. Her compassion, her obedience, her courage, persistence, and humility are just a few more of the things that Ruth has that changed the history of the human race. And that can be every single person's story in this place today. Worship, you can come on up. Everybody, if you want to close your eyes, I know that was a quick, quick message, but dudes, that's what I got for you this morning. And I am going to lead a prayer for bitterness to be released and for loyalty to a new life to take its place. Does that sound good? Is everybody ready to receive this morning? Okay, everybody's eyes closed. If you're ready to receive this morning, just let me, let me see your hand. Just put your hand up. Hands are up all over this place. That's good. I'm going to, I'm going to pray that if you don't know that there is a seed of bitterness, or maybe it's a tree of bitterness at this point, and you've been experiencing it, it's not just a seed anymore. Its roots have gone so deep, and that thing is a tree, and not only is it a tree, but it is bearing fruit in your life that you no longer want to see. That fruit is heavy. It is real. It is not the good, sweet-tasting fruit that Jesus promises us, the fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit of bitterness. And what is fruit of bitterness? 
fruit of bitterness is the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we talk to each other, the things that we believe about God, being a not powerful God, the things that we take with us into the church that aren't true of the church or God's people, they are things that we hold against men who have hurt us before, or women who have failed us, or mothers who did not love us as they should, and fathers who were not there when we needed them. There are so many fruits that we don't realize we plant those seeds by carrying that fruit and eating of that fruit, speaking death and not life. And Jesus, right now, whatever that thing is, Father God, that caused that bitterness, that seed of bitterness to take root, I curse it right now in Jesus' name. The Lord did not give you a spirit of brokenness, a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of hatred, a spirit of anger. He gave you a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. You have that power to control your mind and your mouth and the things that come out of it. The things that you say about yourself, the things that you say about your spouse, the things that you say about God because you feel that he has failed you and he has offended you. He has not failed you. I swear to you, I know it might look like it's easy for me to stand up here and say, but trust me, if you could see the darkness that has haunted my heart, you would know that's pain. She understands, she knows, she gets it, and the person to the left and the right does too. And maybe they've let God use that golden joinery to bring those pieces back together. And it's no longer a scar. It is a megaphone, a bright shiner that he uses to shine and activate in the lives around you. Your life is a testimony. I pray right now that that bitterness would just fall off from you. And that fruit would be cursed. And that tree would be cursed and die in Jesus' name. And to replace that fruit and that tree and that bitter seed, a seed of loyalty. Loyalty to the one true God. The God who was loyal to you first. He loves you. He sees you. He has experienced the depth of worldly human pain. He has known rejection. He has known and he has counted your tears. He has borne witness to your great tearing. I pray right now that that would be replaced and that you would begin to heal right now. That Jesus would do a golden joinery right now. That he is putting back those pieces together. And in the weeks to come, you are going to be looking for others around you who need to be blessed by what you have overcome, to hear your words of encouragement, to be deeply touched, moved, motivated by your loyalty to God and to them. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.